The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 26 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. My guest this week is Jessica Walker, a 29-year-old entrepreneur living in New York City with her husband, Tommy. Less than two months after their marriage in 2017, Tommy was diagnosed with stage 3 esophageal cancer. To say their lives changed is an understatement. He's currently in a successful immunotherapy clinical trial, and as a result of what they learned in their journey, Jessica created a planner called The Better Book to help Tommy stay organized during his treatment. She's since self-published, and the planner is now being used by thousands of people across the country. She took this idea and her love of greeting cards and created Better and Company, which is a space used to support and encourage all people touched by cancer. Welcome, Jessica. I'm really excited to have you here today to share your story and your story with your husband. So I'm going to just let you go ahead and jump right in. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here, too. So I'm Jessica Walker, and my husband and I got married in August of 2017. In October of 2017, we found out that he was diagnosed with uh, stage three esophageal cancer, and that was 52 days after we got married. Um, So we were (laughs) newlyweds. We were just starting out what we thought was going to be our typical newlywed path together. And we had this massive, horrible curveball thrown at us. Um, And we had known something was going on for about a year. In January of that year, he started having trouble swallowing. He'd had a history of acid reflux, but never anything serious, never had anything like treated by professionals, just like taking Tums and things. Um, And he was having trouble swallowing and it started out with um, thick breads, chicken, things that are kind of harder to swallow. Anyways, as the months went on, more and more things got added to the can't swallow list, which grew and grew until by July, August, he was almost only able to swallow liquids or very, very soft foods. Wow. But we obviously knew something was wrong, but it was such a gradual change at first we're like this is weird we should get it looked at this is really weird we we need to have this checked out and we were starting to talk to doctors but he hadn't gone in for any specific tests or scans yet and so at that point our wedding was the end of august it was the beginning of august and we knew it was pretty serious and he had lost a good amount of weight but it was one of those things where he was also trying to lose weight for the wedding and he was doing things so there was a lot of excuses that we were giving to the the weight loss Um, and so we decided, let's just get through the wedding. It was an out of town wedding, get through our honeymoon, which was immediately after. And then we had scheduled our first doctor appointment for the day we got back. So we did all of that. We get his first endoscopy and everything started moving pretty quickly. Um, so we didn't know exactly what was going on, but we knew that we were being expedited to a lot of different things pretty quickly, which was we were a little naive, but we um, were just like, it's going to be fine by Saturday. 
we'll have figured out what this is and they'll fix it. We thought it was a stricture. We'd read about strictures and we were like, it's just a stricture. They'll stretch it out. So we found out on October 18th of that year that he had stage three esophageal cancer, which is, I mean, a huge shock, not only for every reason, but he, that's a cancer that people get when they're 70, 80 years old. It's not a cancer you get when you're 26. And it completely flipped our world upside down. Um, we were both actors at the time, which requires a lot of traveling. And we were typically out of New York a lot of the year and everything got put immediately on hold. And we were all of a sudden going from traveling and working to Tommy has cancer. We are now in radiation every single day, chemo constantly, doctor's appointments. I mean, at the beginning, you know, there's you have five appointments a day. Like we kept a log at one point and I think we went to over a hundred appointments between October and December. It was crazy. And I mean, at that very beginning, we didn't even know what oncologists meant. Like we were so, we felt behind, not that we should have known this stuff. Um, at 26, none of our friends had ever gone through anything like this. We knew like some of our parents, friends or a grandparent that had cancer, but it just seemed there's no good time to get cancer, but it seemed incredibly unfair. <laughs> and we were very confused and upset and hurt and angry and scared and every emotion you can have. But we both decided very early on, like the day of, that this was something that we were going to fight like hell and get through because in contrast, like he's young, he's healthy. Besides this thing, he has the strength to take on intense treatments. He had the the willpower, like he had youth on his side. So even though he was so young, we found that being an outlier, we think kind of helped because the statistics didn't apply because there wasn't statistics for people who are 26 with esophageal cancer stage three. So we were able to sort of separate that fear from our minds. So he went through between October and December, he had several weeks of radiation targeted on the tumor, which was his lower esophagus. He had five or six rounds of chemo. And then in January, he had a full esophagectomy, which means that they took out a large part of the esophagus and about half of his stomach and then essentially pulled it, his stomach up and reattached it. Um, of course, doctors prep you for how they say a surgery is going to go. And they try to tell you everything that could go wrong. And, and I mean, honestly, it went perfectly like the surgery itself really couldn't have gone better but we had no idea how serious a surgery this was we had one of our doctors before he went back into the room say that this is the most difficult gastric surgery that they do at that hospital and it was just i think he went back his surgery got delayed 10 hours which of course you never know how that's going to go but that just makes everything more stressful and it was a two-part surgery where one doctor went in and did one part. Then there was another doctor that came in and it was three in the morning before he was done and he was taken to ICU. And I just had, I, it truly didn't resonate or hit me how intense and how serious this surgery was. But like I said, he got through it. And after his surgery, which went incredibly well, they did take out some surrounding lymph nodes and they still, after seeing everything, they thought they got everything. They were still calling it stage three, but now there was supposedly almost no evidence of disease. So that went amazing. It was a months and months of recovery of him being on feeding tubes and trying to walk again. Um, I mean, it's just 
crazy, but he went and did another round of chemo that May that we were calling kind of like preemptive, just like we think it's all gone, but let's do this chemo anyways. And that one is actually, um, it was FLOT, which I can't remember what that stands for, but it's, it's a pretty intense one. His first chemo experience wasn't too, too bad. I mean, it's chemo, so it's, it's bad. But the second one, that round really set us, set him back and was really, really tough. And he got through that. And then that summer we did one more preventative sort of treatment called HIPEC, which was they inject heated chemo directly into his abdomen, which sounded crazy to me. I'd never heard anything like that, but it was another thing that we did just preventatively. And then by that point they were saying he was cancer free. So we spent a good part of the summer, early part of the fall, just like <laughs> settling into what the heck just happened the last eight months. Like it was a crazy time where you think that you're going to feel so relieved and so happy. And it was just, we were, but it was so complicated. And it's the second you have a moment to relax and just started thinking about what happened. Like you're not just in go, go, go mode that like things get very heavy and very tough. And so we had gotten through that season. Things were lifting a bit. We were starting to feel like normal again, which that's a whole other story, but yes, um, it is. <laughs> he, in October, he had a scan come back with something on it. They always say like, we see something, but we don't know what it is. So of course it took two more weeks to figure out what that something was, that something ended up being um, many very, very small tumors across both of his lungs. Um, he didn't have any recurrence at the original site, and this was the only place that it was, but it was scattered throughout his lungs in very, very small, like millimeter, like one to 11 millimeter tumors. And um, so now he was stage four, so those are metastases. And that was, you th- I, it's hard for me to compare like which was the most difficult time the first time or finding out about the recurrence. And I think the recurrence is just so much tougher because you're so exhausted at that point and you know exactly what it's going to take to get through it. And it's just like trying to imagine finding that energy and that courage and that drive again is, especially when you're now feeling even more defeated is so, so hard. And we had, um, I mean, really like that October, November, December, those are some really difficult times for us because our medical team had taken us through the whole first round of everything who did the surgery. We absolutely loved them. And then at this point, they essentially gave us no options. They were saying, we're going to try chemo until it doesn't work. And that just didn't sit right with us. We just both of us, when they said that, obviously, of course, it was devastating to hear, but it just didn't feel right. Like we were asking a lot of questions. We're like, well, why couldn't we try this? Why couldn't we try this? And they had answers for everything that sounded fine. Like they sounded sound. And I understand that that was their opinion, but it didn't sit right. So we decided to seek out a new medical team. And that is just an entire journey on its own because, I mean, even just sorting out insurance, trying to get second opinion appointments covered it. And also it feels like you're betraying your team a little, which is seems crazy, but I mean, you've spent so much time and emotional connection with this team and they've helped you through that. It feels a little bizarre to be like seeking a new team and you don't know if the new team's going to be better, but we just knew that we weren't happy where we were at that time. So it was worth the risk and it did take a while, but we found 
um, a new medical team still in Manhattan, which was great. It was close by. And that doctor in the very first appointment met us exactly where we were. And we were, we told him he's young and healthy. He has no side effects at this point. The tumors were so small. They were, they weren't causing any sort of symptoms. Um, so he felt perfectly fine. We were like, we are willing to try potentially higher risk um, clinical trials because we're not taking just waited out as an answer. Um, and he was like, all right, let's, let's look at the options. So he found a, a clinical trial that we sent over to our previous team just to like get their opinion on. And they were like, it's too risky. It's too risky. And, and of course it was like, that's, that is the nature of clinical trials. You don't know if they're going to work. You don't know what side effects you're going to get. And of course there were some high possibility of high risk side effects. Uh, but it was a, an immunotherapy clinical trial with a targeted agent, Keytruda and Levantinib, Levantinib, I think. I've never been able to say that correctly, <laughs> but we started that in January. So truly like miracle, but he had no side effects from it, like virtually none, which I know is not the case with everyone, but for us, immunotherapy side effects wise was truly a silver bullet. It was like he was able to live completely normally and feel fine, like maybe a little fatigue occasionally, but truly nothing. But the, the bigger miracle is that by his second scan, he was getting them every nine weeks. So I guess this was about March. All evidence of disease had shrunk by at least 30%. And in, at that point, they were telling us this could continue shrinking. We don't like see this happen a lot, like the, but the people who do respond to it can respond very, very well. And so we were expecting all year long just to see it shrink, 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 and then incrementally we would be at zero by Christmas. And um, that hasn't exactly happened. This is the case with, I feel like, everything in the world of cancer. There's, <laughs> you can't predict it. It's never cut and dry. But um, we have been incredibly blessed to this year. He has had, since it shrunk to that 30%, smaller size. It has stayed at that size the whole year. So uh, until today, so he's been stable for a year and his old team had told us he had one to two years to live. We are now past that one year and he has significantly less cancer than he did when we were at that hospital. And that is a win that we do not take lightly, even though of course we would love to just check it off and say that we're done with cancer. And we have slowly learned that that is probably not going to be part of our story. And that is a hard pill to swallow. Like at the beginning, we just wanted to check it off. We wanted to check off chemo, check off radiation, check off surgery and be done. And the gray area and the, the things that pop up and like it, it is something that I think we're both like able to think of more as a chronic illness now that has flare ups as opposed to like something that we can finish. And that is probably like the most difficult perspective shift that we've had to come across. But I think it's like the one that has definitely been the most helpful because you're just able to exhale a little bit. <laughs> it's like, it's a horrible thing to wrap your mind around that this is going to be probably part of our story, but <laughs> you have to deal with the hand that you're dealt and you'll never hear like a, we're grateful this happened in our house ever, but because it is the hand we were dealt, we have been able to recognize some valuable perspective shifts and some positives that have come from what we've been through. Again, it's, it's such a tricky moment because I, we are not grateful. And if I could have found the perspective shifts in another way, which may, even if they came later that I would have taken it, but 
that is not our situation. So you really do just have to make the best of exactly what's happening. And through all of this, I was able to found my company, which has truly been just one of the biggest blessings for finding a community and finding connection and finding common ground and finding out there are other people who are in their 20s, unfortunately. But I mean, finding people who actually know what this is like. And I didn't know that. I I didn't know where to look. And I just decided that I wanted to create resources that I wish we had had at the beginning and to create community circles and connection that's easy to find when you don't know where to look. And I do I do value that part of the journey. And I my life has completely switched in every way. But I mean, even just career-wise, I'm I'm so much happier and it's just been a crazy ride. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. I know it's so challenging and as healthy, otherwise healthy people, it can be so hard to wrap our brains around. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Jessica and I are going to talk about some of the silver linings because I I know what some of those are. There's so many great points that you made that I would love to circle back on. So stay with us and we will be back in just a couple minutes. Hi, Jen here. I hope you're enjoying the show. When I finished treatment, I discovered survivorship was way more challenging than I ever expected it to be. There are a lot of things no one prepares you for. I attended one support group meeting and knew that was not for me. The more people I talked with, the more I realized I was not alone. This podcast is a forum for people to share their cancer stories from start to present. And my Facebook group is a gathering space for people to find positive inspiration on the not-so-positive days. In a community of people who understand the challenges of this journey. So come on over and join the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. And be part of the conversation. When you see the question, how did you hear about us? Be sure to mention this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you there. We are back. I'm here with Jessica Walker. We've been talking about the journey she and her husband have been on with his esophageal cancer. There were so many items that you talked about as you were sharing your story. So many things that I really resonated with and that I hear from so many people. It's exceedingly difficult to get a speedy diagnosis as a young person, Mm -hmm. even as a 43-year-old who was also in fantastic shape, I kept hearing, well, it can't be cancer because you're too young and you're too fit. You're too X. Mm -hmm. It becomes even that much more challenging when we do get the diagnosis. On one hand, it's validating. And on the other hand, it's like, why did this take so long? And also that idea of having no idea what is happening and what the next steps are. That's another common thing. No one prepares for a cancer diagnosis, especially when we're in our 20s. That's the furthest thing, unless we know that we have some genetic marker. He's unique in his family to have this. It's becoming really common that we've got these, as you put it, outliers. There's so many things we don't know. And I really love that idea of 
being the guide of your treatment and being your own advocate. It's so challenging. Your team is so much a part of your day to day when you're going through all that treatment and you get to know them and they get to know you and you you hear stories about their family and their pet. It's kind of like relationships. You talked also about seasons. Our relationships sometimes go through seasons as well where someone showed up in our life to help us with a lesson and then they fall away. And it very much was sort of the journey you went on in finding a new team. It's challenging. It's emotional. As logical as we need to be, there is also that emotional piece. And I would really love to have you share a little bit more on the seasons of treatment and survivorship. There's the focus is on treatment. And then we get to that survivorship phase as patients and caregivers. And there's still so much that no one prepares us for. Yeah, definitely. I'll kind of touch on two of those in one, I think, because we always say like, we are the CEO of our treatment. Tommy is the CEO of his treatment. The doctors are there to guide us, give their recommendations. But just because that one person said it doesn't mean it's the perfect option for you. And that is a hard thing to admit or (laughs) encompass because we're not doctors. And I think that was one of the craziest things when Tommy was first diagnosed that I was most naive about, I think is that I thought that when you had cancer, a doctor told you what to do and you did it. When our very first team, I mean, they were giving us options from day one. They're like, do you want to go this route or this route? And we're like, I don't know. We're not doctors. <laughs> Tell us what to do. We just want a guide. And so in that beginning stage, we had a team that was, they were that guide. And we didn't know what questions to ask. We didn't know what direction we wanted to go because we didn't know anything. I remember our very first doctor at one of his endoscopy appointments was like, well, do you want to go to Sloan? And he was talking about Sloan Kettering. And we were like, what is Sloan? And he goes, oh, you're not from New York. We're like, no, we live here. We're just, we're not from the cancer world. I don't know what Sloan Kettering is. And it was just like, we just felt so behind. But season wise, by the time that we had almost spent a year with our team, we knew the course of treatment that's typically done. We had read so much. We'd connected with so many people. We had found every resource that we could. And we were just a more educated patient we just knew more about it. And that's just the nature of it. At the beginning, you know, not, you know nothing. By the time that we had this crossroads where we felt like something was wrong, we had essentially the backbone, I guess, to just trust our gut. And I wish that it's really not something that someone can tell you, like trust your gut from the beginning. There's so much fear in the beginning that it's really hard to identify what feels right. And at that beginning part, we were just surviving. We we're just appointment to appointment. Tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. Let's get through this. And so by the time it was up to us to decide which direction to go. It felt very scary, but it just, we knew that wasn't the place for us. And it wasn't anything they did wrong. It was just that we had run our course with that team. And maybe they didn't have access to the trials that we were interested in. Maybe it's essentially comes down to one person. Like they are the leader of your team. They're making the decisions. Even if there's a tumor board or whatnot, they're the person who's in charge of your case. It's one person's opinion and they're a smart person and they are resourceful, but she was no longer our person. And when we found our new doctor, we just, it felt right. And I mean, this is also like kind of a minor thing, but I think is so important. Obviously your mental state and your mental health is incredibly key to your treatment success, I think. And that hospital that we were at, that we'd been going to for a year had become such a heavy place for us. Every time we went, we had experienced so many traumas back to back to back to back in that hospital 
being told horrible news upon horrible news. And the idea of staying there and going back every single week to that place that was such a horrible place for us at this point, gorgeous hospital, amazing state of the art, had nothing to do with that. It was emotionally such a horrible place. We just needed a fresh start. And honestly, that almost led us more that we were just, we need a fresh start. We need a clean slate and walking into our new hospital. It didn't even matter if it was better or it, we just needed something different. And luckily it was better for us and it was a better fit, but mentally, I don't think we could have stayed at that hospital. And I think that that made such a difference and it's being an advocate for your own health, but it's being an advocate for your mental health. If you need a new social worker, if you need a different therapist, like make the change, like this there aren't going to be hard feelings. I mean, truthfully, there's not. They, they'll be fine. They have more patience. It is a business. Like you, you mentioned, it is a business deal. Like it's, you both need to be happy and you just have to advocate for yourself. And that's been so important to us to share to anyone that's asking about second opinions. I, I just say, just do it. Either you find out something better or you are then more confident in your decision because they gave you the same answer. Yeah, it really reaffirms too how you're feeling. Like if you're getting if you're seeking a second opinion because you're just not sure and you want to make sure you're covering all the options, mm-hmm. if someone reaffirms, yes, that's what I would do, that's what I would recommend. And I absolutely get that idea of the heaviness that you were feeling because they weren't really giving you positive outlook options. They were really sort of resigned and it becomes very challenging when we're not in that space. Definitely. I give you so much credit for recognizing that because fear is so challenging. And when we have no base of information, fear is really highly connected with that word cancer. Mm-hmm. And then when we get more information and we have a greater, deeper level of understanding, like that understanding really allows us to step out of the fear. Exactly. So kudos to you (laughs) for making that shift because it's really a hard thing to do. We were talking during the break as well about that gratitude for the team and how people come into our lives and go out of our lives. And we're always so grateful for kind of where we are in the sport we have in the moment. And then being able to recognize like, we are still grateful for you, but we're going to go over here into this sandbox. (laughs) Because this sandbox is getting kind of dirty and now I'm going to go play in the clean sand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just knew we, it was going to take a lot of strength and a lot of personal positivity and so we're just trying to like give ourselves the best possible scenario to make that happen before we embarked on it. And it was, it was the fresh start that we needed. Absolutely. And you talked about seasons as well, and there's so much of a focus on treatment in the medical world and surviving that idea of getting to survivorship. And then we're sort of cut loose a bit. Like they bring us as far as they can bring us or where we're, cancer free or whatever terminology they want to put to it. They don't often call it cancer free. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's a very weird place because you go from, you had mentioned like a hundred appointments 
in this short span of time and you see all these doctors and you have this constant line of connection, then you come out the other side and you're like, whoa, wait, where'd my, where'd my connection go? Like having a weird thing happening today and I can't just pick up the phone and call Sally because she's my nurse that I call whenever I have a weird thing happening. (laughs) So that whole idea of survivorship and, and the challenges that we face there as caregivers and as patients, because it's really like this unknown space. So one thing that you had mentioned in this idea of seasons and in the silver lining, I like to call it the silver linings Mm -hmm. of, because it's, I feel the same way you do. Like, I'm not grateful that I had cancer, but I can see a lot of positives in my mindset and in my approach to every day that have come out of that. And you and I had talked a couple of weeks ago about this idea of traveling and seeing the world. So I would love for you to share what you all have been doing in regard to that. Absolutely. So at the beginning um, of his treatment, well, more specifically when during his surgery, it's like when you are just trying to get through that next thing, we really couldn't plan more than five minutes in advance. Like it was that serious at that moment. And we were planners. Like we love to travel. We've always traveled. That's been a huge thing. We always have a trip on the calendar. There's never a blank space. And that was a really difficult transition to be stationary. Like you cannot plan literally to the end of this day because we don't know what's going to happen before this evening. And so we went, we were in that season January, February, March, where it's like, we couldn't plan the next day. And then it started stretching out like that time we were able to then maybe plan towards the weekend, or maybe then things were going more consistently to where we could kind of see what the next two weeks would look like. And so as that time stretched out and we got a little bit more comfortable with the idea of planning, because I mean, at the beginning, when you plan something, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense because something will come up and it's just like, the opportunity to plan felt so precious to us that we were so grateful to be able to see three weeks in the future and know he has treatment every three weeks. He has a scan every nine weeks. That means we have three weeks of just whatever we want to do. And because it had been so long since we had that opportunity, we decided we were going to take advantage of those times. So we looked at the year and I mean, at that point it felt ridiculous to look that far in advance. Like who knew? But by the time we got to, I guess, March and the cancer started shrinking and we had gotten on a consistent schedule and it was pretty clear he didn't have any major side effects. The idea of starting to travel again started like percolating. And it was scary because I mean, it's one of those things too, where things had popped up out of nowhere. Like he in December had an intestinal blockage that went from zero to hospital in six hours. Like traveling is scary because you don't want to be in Spain and that happened. Like that is it's a scary thing, but for us, it was truly worth the risk because we were saying to ourselves the exact thing you said. It's we're surviving appointment to appointment, but we wanted to be living again. And we didn't, we wanted cancer to be in our story, but we didn't want it to be the whole story. And we wanted it to, we knew it was going to be in the car, but we wanted to drive the car and we were tired of cancer making our decisions. And so we just took it back. We decided we're going to do this. And we would tell our doctor. And this is another point. We were so lucky to have him meet us on because our other team was terrified of him traveling. And our doctor was like, I understand that this is a priority for you. So let's make it happen. He worked around our 
plans treatment wise. Tommy wanted to um, do a job that he used to do a lot in the summer, which is out of state. They worked with us so hard to where he would fly in in the morning, go to treatment, fly out that evening. Like they worked around us so, so much. And because we just decided we're taking advantage of these, this blank space that we don't know what's going to happen then, but we know right now we have a moment. We decided to start traveling and I, we're pretty good at budget traveling. So we, I mean, we weren't like blowing money on these things, but like we were finding Airbnbs, we we're finding cheap flights. We were like, what can we do in this time to just feel like we're living our, our lives again? Like cancer's there, but these are our lives again. And we decided to just do as much as we could. And we went to eight countries last year. Um, we traveled for both of our birthdays. We went on a trip for a honeymoon. Tommy's uh, dad is a winemaker and he's always wanted to go to Italy. And that was like a life goal for Tommy and his dad to go to Italy together. And it's like one of those things that people always are like, we'd love to do that one day. And Tommy was like, we're doing it this year we're yes. doing it in August. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Like, let's plan. And the four of us, his parents and Tommy and I spent a week in Italy and just had the most magical time. And I just, it's when you, people have excuses for why they don't travel. We got back and it's like, could we have saved a little more money that month? Yeah. But this was amazing. Like we had the most incredible trip. Now that is one of the perspectives just we're so grateful for is you just, you take advantage more and there's less like, even just on a small scale when we're home, like I always used to get trapped into the, like one more email trap or like the, I'll get, I'll be there in five minutes or like, I'll watch TV with you later. It's like, now that is, that stuff doesn't matter. So like we will just go to the movies instead of finishing a project or we will, I mean, we obviously (laughs) we're productive members of society, but the little things that I used to just push off, we do now and life goes on and it's, it's much better. Yes. And that is one of the things that I really try to drive home to people. It's on social media this week. I'm talking a lot about time and taking time to do the things that are important, whether it's reading a book or knitting or watching a movie together or going to a movie together or going out and doing an activity or we also are avid travelers. Mm -hmm. So we, my husband turns 50 this year. And we, last year we took four weeks of vacation. That was pure vacation, not including time to go visit family. And both of our families are out of the area. And my oncologist will say to me, are you ever here? Like, are you out, <laughs> like, what do you mean that you were traveling again? I'm like, no, no, it just happens to be like, before I see you, I've been somewhere. It's, we're home, we're working, we're getting stuff done. Um, but we take advantage of all those opportunities. We're going to Europe for like 18 days in November. And we've got a trip for my niece's graduation planned in May. Like we do those things because you just don't know. Mm-mm. We don't know. Date Like I've been having car challenges and I'm like, okay, am I really going to stress myself out over a 12-year-old car? (laughs) Or should I just get a new car? Mm -hmm. Like, and then we start to have that self-judgment. And you tapped into that a little bit with like, we're, I swear we're productive people. (laughs) We are like, we don't have credit card debt. We're not, we're not being crazy, but we are 
But you're living. What to do? Yeah, we are living, and it's like it's so important that that is the number one priority. We have the time right now, so we're going to use it. Yes, and I applaud that so, so, so very much. So I also want to talk a little bit about um, your book, the Better Book, and your your company that goes along with that. And I, my husband, and I were looking through the book. It's entitled a complete journal planner and guide to help you get better. And I love the different components that you have put into the book. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, where that came from? Sure. Absolutely. So we realized pretty early on that it's really hard to stay organized during treatment because you're getting so much information. They're just handing you printouts of <laughs> things that are, you just get so much paper, so much information. It's so difficult to stay organized. And I decided I had a little time on my hands because I wasn't working and I decided I wanted to make a planner for Tommy and I to use during his treatment. And it was the main thing that we were having issues with is when we get to an appointment, we'd have all these questions in our head and then a doctor would say something at the beginning of the appointment and it would either be good or bad, but it would just like your mind is now away from those questions you walked in with. And then we'd have to call them after the appointment, email them after the appointments. And that's always difficult. So. I wanted to include in the planner that I made for us questions for the doctor. So we have the appointment and it's, I'm going to ask these things at this appointment. And we wouldn't leave the appointment until we had everything answered. And it just made us more knowledgeable and more empowered and just like a little bit more breathing room because it was one last thing that we had to try to figure out. And so I made a bunch of sections for everything that we needed to be organized on with bills, um, appointment notes, schedules, his side of, or his symptoms or side effects, how he's feeling that day. So many different things. Um, having the, your pharmacy's contact information, which you're asked for a trillion times a day, I yes. guess. Um, your medical history. Like at this point he's had 20 procedures that we now have to list. Like if he ever, and we, we just have them there. We have the date, we have everything listed out. And so as we were using this just personally, I was just telling some people about it. And I had so many people say like, I wish I'd had that when I was going through treatment, or I wish I'd had that for my mom to help her when she had Alzheimer's, like things that I wasn't even thinking about it being used for. And so I was getting this sort of feedback so consistently that I decided I wanted to share this. It it was helping us so much. I wanted other people to be able to use it. And i decided to self-publish it. My mom helped me buy a hundred copies and they sold almost immediately. And I realized like, this is something that could really help people. And it's something that I wouldn't think to have, but my like massive goal for the future is I want the better book to be handed to the patient at diagnosis. Like when they give you a folder with all the crazy information, if someone were to hand that to you on day one and you had that, it would just take so much of the stress of organizing off your shoulders. Um, so that's, that's a future goal. But yeah, at this point now that project kind of led into this idea of better and company, which the second big project there was, uh, we definitely use humor as medicine. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine for us. Yes. And we were getting so many beautiful greeting cards and messages from people that were lovely, but they were, they always felt like a little heavy to us. And we wanted to like essentially poke fun at the situation. That was how we were getting through it. We had to laugh at it or it was too heavy. So I decided to make greeting cards that were irreverent, funny, like making fun of cancer, like just puns. And 
that really, that concept kind of took off. I realized there wasn't really anyone doing this kind of thing. And coming from Tommy and I, who like, I was testing every card off of him. How do you relate to this? Does this make you laugh? Is this like insensitive? It was having him as a sounding board was so helpful that I think the cards really do resonate with people in an authentic way. And it just kind of spiraled. And now Better and Company is my full-time job. It's potentially going to be, I'm trying to hire Tommy. Um, (laughs) He's on the fence. Um, But it's like something that I'm now so passionate about and I didn't expect it to become anything. I never had dreams of being an entrepreneur. I just knew I wanted to create resources that I wish we had had at the beginning. And I just wanted to help cultivate a community that I wish we had found earlier on. And through those goals, which I reference as encouraging and empowering the cancer community, it has become something that I could have never dreamed of. And I'm so proud of, and I'm so grateful for, and that that's kind of the journey of better and company to today. Yeah. So just as an example of one of Jessica's cards, she sent me one that um, says cut out and use whenever necessary. And it's got a little like card with a, with the scissor cut out around it. And it says no unsolicited medical advice, please. And underneath it says example, when someone's aunt on Facebook starts telling you how to cure yourself with celery. Yeah. (laughs) When I opened it, I just started laughing because I've talked with other people who are like, isn't it amazing that when you get diagnosed with cancer and you tell people you have cancer, all of a sudden everyone has the letters MD after their name. It is such a, I didn't see that coming, but that is consistently a thing for people. It really is. And it's so surprising. It is. Or also the, um, I can see a line of greeting cards for survivors to send out. Mm -hmm. Like, condolence cards for people's feelings as they come up. Like you share that you've got a thing going on because you have to share it Mm -hmm. because you're having surgery or whatever the case may be. And then you're like, I'm sorry, you're having such a hard time with this. Yeah. The one, the card that I see survivors send to other people who've been diagnosed the most is one that um, it says, your treatment may be over, but I'm still here for you. And I think that's because so many survivors, like everyone rallies for you at the beginning, everyone's there for you. And then as soon as like appointments start being less and you start sharing a little less, just because less specific things are going on, your support system kind of fizzles a little bit. And it's something that like, it's so encouraging to just know that people are still there for you. And so I think that that specifically is one that a lot of survivors send to people because they know what that's like. And just like trying to create cards with messages that people really need to hear at times has been just such a fun and rewarding experience. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it I think it gives so much to people. And for those people who are staying positive and who you mentioned this and when you were sharing the story, like we are young and he was healthy. Like I started telling people I just had this little problem. I it was just a little problem. Like mm. I was really well. I was really healthy. I just had this little problem. Exactly. <laughs> healthy as a horse, but just with cancer. Yeah. <laughs> just with the side of cancer. And yep. it's like, doesn't compute in your head. Mm-mm. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know there are so many more things that we could talk about. I would love for you to share how people can connect with you. 
Sure. So my website is www.betterandcompany.com. And you can reach me there. Um, but on social media is probably the easiest. If you just send me a message, it's just at better and company and across all socials, it's at better and company, <laughs> but mostly Instagram. That's where I show up. So that, that would be the easiest place to reach me. All right. Fantastic. And if you go to the cancercliffnotes.com, you will be able to see the resources links under the episode. And that will have a link to where you can purchase the book and how to get in touch with Jessica. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. I so appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing the journey you and Tommy have been on so far. I'm excited to see where your travels take you next. I want to take a moment to highlight the better book. It's so true what Jessica says in the foreword about being overwhelmed in the beginning of a cancer diagnosis. The number of appointments, the questions that come up, keeping track of all the information is a job in itself. The Better Book has sections for doctor contacts, prescription info. The number of prescriptions becomes crazy. Tracking important dates, appointment notes, a place to write down all those questions that pop up, a bill tracking area, thank you note tracker, and a space to quickly record what kind of day you're having, as well as a big section for notes or journaling. Head on over to unspokencancertruths.com where you can find links to purchase the better book and connect directly with Jessica. And also, if you're not in the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, head over to Facebook and you can search us there. That's our episode for this week, and I will be back on June 24th when my guest will be Cindy Valentine sharing her unspoken cancer truths. Cindy and I both love amusement parks, and I could absolutely relate to her description of the diagnosis phase of a cancer journey being akin to finding herself on the ride before she even decided to get in line. I hope you'll listen in. Thanks for listening and have a great week.